Maplan shows need for school funding. CPAC goes fully racist. ACTU reporter ripoff wins government task force. And good news about microplastics. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am your co-host, Ben Davison, and joining me is the best-selling author of QAnon and On, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Cults, the only woman to both address a Sydney Festival of Playwrights <laughs> and an ACTU Congress that we're aware of, my wife, your friend, the great and glorious Van Batam. How are you, Van? Well, I mean, I, I'm, in an, I'm in a better mood than I was an hour ago because there is not persistent drilling outside our house. Indeed. Thank you so much to everyone for their patience in this episode coming out. Of course, we cracked over a million downloads. I totally get my party. That Ben says will be announced at an appropriate time. In the the fullness of time, at a date to be announced. A million downloads, a million downloads. In fact, I had to write some copy for a website today and I got to mention that the week on Wednesday is, of course, not only award-winning, but it's had a million downloads. And Ben, I was pretty impressed. Yeah, look, it's (laughs) it's an impressive effort on the part of the listeners. So for those listening at, at home or at work or in the car or in a crane, on oh. night shifts, uh, I heard people listen to us when they're doing night shifts or early morning shifts or walking the dog, doing long commutes. We love it. We love it. We're, we're so into you people. Wherever you're listening. And look, who knows? Maybe on the International Space Station, they're downloading this from Apple Podcasts as we speak. Look, it is a phenomenal result. We're very, very happy. Here's to a million more. I love it. I'm, yeah. I'm in. You know, Van, we talk a lot on this show about the importance of unions and why people should join their union. Because they're great, join a union. Absolutely. Billy Bragg's new song is fantastic. Uh, we will share a link to it. So Billy Bragg took on that guy from the Carolinas in the United States who's done the song about hardworking men and it's all rich men just exploit us and why do we give our tax dollars to overweight people? Yeah. Yeah, that's a guy who's not making the links. Well, very fortunately, Billy Bragg, like literally my hero, he has issued a musical challenge to this guy by releasing a song that speaks to this man and says, have you ever thought about joining a union, maybe not being powerless? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and basically all of the stories we're going to talk about today talk about at their core there's an element of solidarity, there's an element of why it's important to be a part of your union because of national policy, local policy, workplace policies. You know, Billy Bragg, I think, encapsulated that in his song. You know, you need to join your union. If you want a better pay packet, if you want a better world, join your union. And you can do that while you listen to this podcast. If you go to australianunions.org.au slash wow. What's that link again? Australianunions.org. Dot au slash wow. I didn't even say www like a, a 90s creature. I'm really excited. So I am speaking at the Currency Press Festival of Playwrights in Sydney on the weekend and we're talking about cult- cancel culture. Yeah. And I'm, of course, going to talk about 
uh, industrial realities and industrial campaigning, and uh, I'm very excited. I, I love the fact that I'm a member of two unions, and one of them obviously represents me as a journalist, and the other one represents me as a playwright and screenwriter. There really is a union for everyone. There really is. And, Van, one of the things that's happened today is the Australian Education Union has come out very strongly. Staunch comrades. Very strongly on the back of the NAPLAN uh, results. Now, for those of you who weren't uh, stuck in the car for some hours today, as I was, you may not have heard the various forms of AM and FM radio talking about NAPLAN. And, of course, we know that people really do care about their children's education, which is a good thing. Why? Really? And, of course, NAPLAN is one of those things that people try and use to gauge the effectiveness of the education that their children get. Now, the AU has come out very, very strongly on the back of uh, these NAPLAN results, basically saying that it shows very clearly why we need to fully fund public schools. And I know if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you'll know uh, that 98% of Australia's public schools are not funded to the minimum standard. or as uh, Karina uh, Haythorpe, the Secretary of the Australian Education Union, said today, only 1.3% of public schools get the minimum level of funding that has been uh, agreed is needed to meet the needs of students. When you consider that's the reality that our teachers are working under, it's a miracle that any students are achieving above uh, the minimum uh, re- minimum required levels of literacy and numeracy. And yet the, in Victoria, Victoria has done very, very well. Interestingly, in states where funding for public education uh, is further away from that minimum level, the results are worse. No way. So in Queensland. What? You mean you actually need to resource projects to see them through to quality completion? Absolutely. That's a radical concept. And, and Clearly everybody who came up with that was a communist. Now, look, when you look nationwide, one in ten students uh, need additional support. But in the most underfunded systems, the Northern Territory is the most underfunded system, you've got up to nine in ten students who need additional support in some schools, there has absolutely been a skew away from a needs-based funding model to the kind of deck through the decade of Morrisonism that has seen private schools get funded above their minimum needs. Well, so we reward people with money with more money. That comes from people who have no money, whose children then go without. What a great plan. Indeed. By the way, I don't think that's a great plan. It's a terrible plan. If you're a truck clipping this, let me tell you, we both agree that's a terrible plan. Yeah, that's not a good plan. And please, just stop clipping our our podcast. (laughs) We really don't need your audienceship. We've got a million on our own. Um, So... Yeah, now it is. It is just. It. I mean, you, you know how passionately I feel about this. And can I just say, like, there have been a couple of stories that really sort of furnish this. So many of the Matildas mm. went to state school, yeah, and have maintained relationships with the state, the public school that they went to, and just you know, public schools don't restrict your greatness. Public schools challenge it. They find it. They 
help you. They set you on a path. They give you a purpose. Please let them do their job. Just fund them properly. You know, think of all of the excellences we can facilitate if we have the resources to help the students who need help. You know, it's not the self-starters and the self-reliant. They are going to be, they're going to thrive wherever they are. Mm -hmm. But there are kids for whatever reason because they live in poverty, because they've got disabilities that, sometimes are not diagnosed, sometimes mm. are not visible. And I've got to say, as a person who found out later in life that I did have ADHD, it explains a lot, yeah. not only about my own interesting relationship with formal education, which, you know, had its mm. moments and also other moments of a different kind, but also looking back on the classroom when I was a kid, kids who clearly had dyslexia or dyspraxia or ADHD or were somewhere on the autism spectrum with a disorder, like all of those things that we didn't have a language for, mm, mm. but in more well-resourced times, even though we didn't have a language for, we had the resources to reach all of those students where they are. Certainly in my educational experience, mm. clearly ended up with a bunch of degrees, everything turned out fine. But... That is not the case for everyone. No, and it's interesting because what the AEU has said is that there are some really clear things that fully funded public education will deliver. It will deliver more support for students with disabilities or who have uh, learning difficulties or behavioural issues for whatever reason they may be, that it will deliver more one-on-one support, it'll deliver uh, smaller class sizes, and that it will deliver more teachers in classrooms. And when you talk to parents or you hear parents on Talkback Radio, as I did today, uh, that's absolutely the things that people are looking for. And these NAPLAN results clearly show what study after study after study have shown, which is that if you are from a high socioeconomic family and live in a high socioeconomic area, you are likely to do better because you will have access to more resources, you'll have an environment that fosters learning, you'll have the support you need than if you are in a low socioeconomic area, which strengthens the argument to have needs-based funding in schools rather than having 98%, more than 98% of our public schools not get the minimum funding they need, we should be targeting our funding and the Commonwealth, and, I, and, you know, people say sometimes, I always love those comments that, oh, you know, the week on Wednesday, it's all just pro-ALP. Well, look, there are ALP governments in every state and territory in the mainland and at the Commonwealth, and they need to pick up the ball on this. Jason Clare has said this is something they want to do. Also into public school? Absolutely. But it is absolutely something the government's right around the country, have to get on board and fix. Absolutely. And it's got to be a Labor priority because <laughs> these are these are labouring communities. Yeah. This is the, the bedrock of our culture and our movement is based in equality of opportunity, whatever your station is. And the means have got to be guaranteed for every community to thrive. <laughs> Look, Van, it's an, it's an interesting one. This is obviously the For Every Child campaign is being run by the AEU right around the country. You can check out their website, foreverychild.au, uh, uh, I believe is the link there. 
you know, get on board with this. If you've got, whether you've got kids or not, I mean, we don't have kids, but a well-educated populace is an engaged populace. It's I mean, a democratic populace. Ben and I don't have children, but we really love bridges that don't fall down. Yeah. And we really love things like fire safety and clean water and healthcare and we love culture and we love really effective communication. And rational debate. And which- rational debate. And we love the idea of people being able to pursue their vocational calling mm. Whoever they are and wherever they're from, Absolutely. we think that makes for oh healthier, happier, more functional societies. Absolutely, Van. Talking about rational debate, we do need to mention some irrational debate that has gone on in Sydney uh, in just the, in the weekend that's just gone past uh, with CPAC. Now I know you're right across this. Oh, the Conservative Political Action Conference. Do you know the first one? I believe the year I was born, 1974, in all ways, otherwise a good year. Clearly, I I think I might have been born to avenge uh, all the people harmed by CPAC, like with some kind of like divine equalisation that as CPAC came into the world, so did I. So CPAC is a conservative political action conference and uh, CPAC... It comes from the US. Yeah, of course it comes from the United States. And the idea was sort of a festival ideas for conservative people. At the very first CPAC, Ronald Reagan, this is six years before he became president, Mm -hmm. gave one of his sort of landmark speeches. He gave the Shining City on a Hill speech where he laid out his vision for neoliberal America, basically, and obviously to great fanfare. And it was the kind of place where you would discuss ideas and contest policies in the conservative political realm. Mm. And, of course, it attracted kooks. Uh, because they're kooks in all movements, mm, alas, mm. alas. Uh, but now it is it is pretty much 100% kook. Um, CPAC, like I said, used to encourage ideas. Donald Trump was invited by Geo Pride, which was the, like, um, LGBTQIA mm. Republican group who saw him as a socially liberal, economically conservative kind of figurehead of the conservative movement. And the, apparently we are to hold them to blame Poor LGBTQIA people get blamed for everything apparently in America at the moment for the fact that uh, Donald Trump got the idea to run for president for his reception there. But CPAC has franchised and since it's been taken over by like extremely far-right individuals, Steve Bannon goes, Nigel Farage goes. In fact, Farage came to the first Australian one. The Mercedes and Matt Schlapp. Matt Schlapp is, of course, an accused sex offender, very prominent conservative identity in the United States. Those kind of people, Milo Yiannopoulos very famously Mm. was the first person probably ever to be uninvited from CPAC um, for doing a podcast in praise of children having sexual relationships with adults, which, you know, even CPAC drew the line at, but it was it's that kind of place where these sort of radical right-wing political opinions have been fostered. Mm. Um, the old Reaganites, none of them would touch CPAC now, I can tell you, like the old well, neocons. I mean, I, w- I want to focus in on the Australian one that happened this last weekend because, of course, it's happened in the context of a Labor conference in Brisbane at uh, the same time? What a coincidence. Yeah, a Labor conference in Brisbane at the same time and the referendum uh, debates obviously happening. Uh, 
Mark Latham being booted out of One Nation. Like there's a lot of things going on kind of in the inner workings of politics in this country. Uh, and one of the things that struck me, Van, about CPAC was when you looked at the when you if you just watched the media clips, it looks like a big stage and it must be a big audience. But then when you get the pullback shots of how many people are there. No one's there. No, there are less people in that audience mm. than are listening to our podcast on any given day. Yeah. And that's what's really interesting about it. And it's very similar in the United States. Because it's a loon festival, essentially, where extremely right-wing people get together and say extremely right-wing things. But if you just watched the media, like the media coverage of it has been pretty intense. There's been a lot of mainstream media. What the far right, and I am saying the far right now, like let's not be ambiguous. These are not centre-right events. This is not where you go for neoliberals and neocons and traditional centre-right conservatives to hang out and talk about the differences and hash out ideas. That's not what's happening. What's happening is the platforming of various extremist pos- like positions mm. that that the organisers and people like Bannon are up to their necks yeah. in this stuff. Generally, if something evil is happening in the world, that's a threat to democracy that comes from the right. Steve Bannon is involved. Yeah. And they famously, CPAC has this tradition of straw polls where they sort of ask the people who are there, who, of course, the moneyed, resourced, activist, committed, far right. Like in Sydney on the weekend, people paid up to $7,000 to attend that event. That's outrageous. Yeah, with the kind of celebrities like Amanda Stoker, who is no longer a senator, and former Prime Minister Tony Abbott, who nobody likes to talk about because it's all a bit embarrassing. Barnaby Joyce, uh, no, you know, notorious transphobe Catherine Deves and her transphobic buddies were all there, like these kind of people. Gary Johns. Gary Johns, absolutely loathsome individual. Mm. And the and this is the thing, that they straw poll and they sort of test what messaging people will get behind mm. and what kind of campaigns people will put money and energy into. And, of course, the voice has dominated the agenda of the Australian CPAC. So this is what I mean, like the right have franchised this. They do CPAC in Australia, they do it in South Korea, mm. Japan, they do it in Brazil, obviously, mm, mm. for all the Bolsonarists, and in Hungary, which has a far-right yeah. government, and they all get together and talk about how feminism is cancer and abortion is murder, blah, blah, blah. So they have been talking about The Voice, and it was very interesting that uh, the guy from Advance Australia got up, and that's the anti-voice sort of mm. campaign infrastructure going. It's just fantastic because with The Voice we've got uh, we've got this point of division in the community where we can just talk about it all the time and generate all this content, which means that nobody's talking about the things that Labor are actually doing. Like everybody's talking about the referendum and it dominates all this discussion, and it's so great because, as you and I know, because we discuss it on this show, mm. Labor have been doing fantastic things mm. in the workplace and raising people's wages and Labor have been like prioritising industrial safety and taking climate action. and Reducing the gender pay gap. Reducing the gender pay gap. In, like improving, Closing the loopholes on Labor hire. Yes, improving access to childcare. Like regulating all, the gig economy. Regulating the gig. Like there's, you know, restoring funding to the arts. There's rather a lot of good news, tangible, practical good news, mm. you know, obviously cutting the cost of medicines. Like there's- Putting a, a nurse in every nursing home. There's rather a lot going on and yet the far right are using the voice to just 
spoil the water wherever they go. Mm. And they're bragging about it at CPAC. They're thrilled. They're not just bragging about it and talking about it in a tactical way. They had possibly the most depressing rally I've ever seen, which is which was a, a room of people, not a huge crowd of people, but mm. they did shoot them with a very closed camera angle and Michaelia Cash and very white people and, and not young people. No. I, I think Generation X, the generation I'm from, very solidly middle-aged, would have been in the minority given the, oh, yeah, yeah, the, older, the data is in, that, yeah. yeah, conservative white Older people. than CPAC, yeah. Older than CPAC, yes, older than CPAC. And Michaela Cash, I can remember you were watching a clip on it and I was like, that voice, it's like something from a bad dream, a terrible trauma. And I, it, it took me a while you had to tell me it was Michaela Cash. All I knew was that it was something that reminded me of something very bad. 10 years of the Morrison yeah. terminal government. Um, and they were holding signs that on one side said vote no and on the other side said don't know because that's their slogan. If you don't know, vote no to mm. the referendum. And they were eagerly shaking these don't know signs and I just thought, yeah, conservatism traditionally was about self-improvement and self-reliance and individual betterment. Like that was the rhetoric. And now you have a whole room full of people with the money to spend on this three-day conference uh, going, yeah, if you don't know anything about The Voice, what a good thing, just vote no, just don't know anything about it. And somebody was on, on like, line, all these people going, if you don't know, find out. Like that's yeah. a, a pretty basic thing. But this absolute celebration, yeah, people don't know, isn't it great? Not knowing is awesome. Oh, it was chilling. And that was one of the events. And, of course, they had speeches from Jacinta Price and also from Warren Mundine. Warren Mundine is the president of CPAC Australia. Let's see how long that lasts, given his other presidencies of the past. Uh, And he... Yeah, and, you know, he's running his, oh, you know, oh, the, oh, the rhetoric around the voice, it's just become so racist. And it's like, yes, Warren, we know because we're seeing it and it's not coming from the yes campaign. So well, maybe if you don't like racism, Warren, there's a very simple decision you could make, which would be to get on board with the yes campaign, which is not racist. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Because the the CPAC event has very clearly let the racism loose uh, and and you've had Anthony Albanese condemn Gary Johns's comments. I mean, Gary uh, Gary Johns uh, was once upon a time a Labor uh, minister, and I think you you made the point about uh, identity death. Identity death. Yeah. You know, this is a guy who you know was out of office when Keating lost, and then suddenly found himself making all these very strange, bizarre comments about welfare and about um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander oh, people. Oh, the Gary, the Gary John story is sad because it's not – it's unusual, but it's not unique. Yeah. So John's was, uh, when we say he was a minister in the Keating government, he was a minister at the end of the Keating government. Yeah. That's 13 years of Labor government. And he was like vice president of the executive council with limited responsibilities if the governor general couldn't turn up. <laughs> like he was special yeah, yeah. minister of state, which you sort of get if the government's going to lose the next election instead of a chocolate bar. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're at the end of four terms, it's sort of everybody gets to go on the merry-go-round. He was a member for Petrie in Queensland and he 
after he left politics, clearly had quite a dry year and ended up just doing a little bit of work for the IPA, which is generally how yeah. evil gets you in this country, and he's just been on a crazy right-wing drift ever since. And identity death is a term that people in politics use to talk about um, why some people hang on to seats when they, they've got no governing left in them, Scott Morrison, mm. um, why people, you know, start finding up the Australian every 15 minutes after they leave office because, you know, when you're in politics or in a leadership position in public life, people call you. Mm. Newspapers want to know what you have to say. You can get on the ABC. You know, you have a ro- your role determines your position in public life. It's clearly identified. And, and your role is clearly identified. For some people, they once there, there seems to be a bit of a blur that goes on between thinking that they're getting attention for themselves on the mm. basis of their own character or personality as opposed to the role that they have. Mark Latham is another very good example. Mm. Obviously, used to be leader of the Labor Party and then wasn't and then wasn't in Parliament. And, you know, when the phone stops ringing, they start doing pretty desperate things. And the far right uh, and the well-resourced far right are always happy to buy your soul if you're selling it, if you're one of those people. So Gary John started doing work for the IPA in 1997, like a year out of office, and became the person who Liberal governments would appoint to things mm. because they could say, oh, we're bipartisan. Gary Johns used to be a Labor MP. So actually we're really representative despite the fact he has beliefs that I would politely describe as deranged. And I want to make this point um, that when we were talking about some of the statements that Gary Johns made at CPAC because he is now the leader of one of the No campaign mm. organisations. He took over from Warren Mundine, um, who, by the way, is also a former uh, Labor president and now obviously quite enmeshed in conservative circles. Mm. Good on you, Warren. Um, but Gary Johns gave like a disgustingly racist speech. Now, I'm older than you and that means that I do have memories of the 1970s that you don't have, Benjamin, because you are young and fresh. And the 1970s, there were some really horrific stereotypes about Mm. Aboriginal people uh, that were shared by racists and parts of mainstream culture at the time. Um, It's some television programs that hopefully nobody will ever watch again. And those stereotypes were demeaning, degrading. They were the legacy of genocidal attitudes towards Australia's first people and they weren't based in fact, they were based in hatred, mockery, bigotry and prejudice. And reading Gary Johns's comments uh, from CPAC in the speech that he gave, I saw all of them, all of the old stereotypes, um, this insistence that Aboriginal Australians um, are responsible for their own disadvantage. Mm. Um, He said things about Aboriginal people refusing to learn English, like just crazy stereotypical stuff. These are people who choose not to be part of the economy. He's written books about this. He's got a book called The Burden of Culture. The wow. burden. Where have we heard the term burden before, Ben? There's a word, burden, burden. Yeah. I'm sure there's some absolutely horrific racist trope mm. that's associated with it. And gave this speech was selling his book next to Warren Mundine's book at 
CPAC. And Warren Mundine has defended this, though. Oh, look, Warren Mundine is is in it up to his neck. With This, this is who Warren Mundine has thrown in with mm. is, I mean, these are who he pals around with. And then goes, I've just never seen so much racism. And it's like, well, maybe you should stop platforming it. What do you What do you think? Do you think maybe not giving Gary Johns the burden of culture author like an opportunity to say extremely racist things based on stereotypes that weren't even true in the 1970s is appropriate? Like, do we think that's how we negotiated democracy. Coincidentally, do you know what else they got upset about at CPAC? Tell me. Uh, the federal Labor government is proposing uh, anti-disinformation, anti-misinformation legislation. Uh, yes. And CPAC, see legislation that will stop the deliberate sharing of, of false information that could harm people, um, they see that as censorship and an attack on their rights. They're literally, that's, they're really concerned. If the government does something about misinformation that could kill people, well, I mean, what kind of country would we be living in? And I'm like, I don't know, a healthier, happier, less racist one? Well, this is, I mean, we've talked before, we'll continue to talk about the importation of American political culture to Australia, and and this is the most blatant example of it. I mean, CPAC, as you say, is literally franchised out here from America. Franchised. It's it's based on American American approaches to campaigning. You know, it it ignores the reality of uh, Australia, Australian majoritarian politics, which is that because everyone does have to turn up on election day. It's not a game of turnout. It's not a game of gerrymandering. It's a it's actually about It's a game of majority opinion. Yeah, building a majority opinion. And one of the things that I actually found really and this sounds terrible in a way, but I suppose the thing that I find heartening about CPAC is that the mask has come off. You know, you can't have one racist uh, after another, and there were multiple, multiple. Are you talking about the stand-up stand-up comedian? In inverted commas, like just horrendous, like horrendously racist things after another, and say that you're against um, you're against stopping misinformation, and that you somehow or another believe that LGBTIQA plus people are, you know, destroying education while saying you shouldn't be funding public schools. Like these are these are people who are using American political ideas that work in a system, like sad to say for all Americans, but they do work in parts of the American political system where there's an ability to suppress some voters while enfranchising others, to turn out some voters while diminishing the likelihood that others will turn out. Those sorts of issues can get people fired up. And as you say, they even admit at CPAC that getting people fired up on these issues around race in particular uh, and division in community. Oh, and, tra- and transphobia and, trans- and homophobia. homophobia. Look, I mean, let's is, be fair. Is working for them because it's swelling their numbers and boosting their coffers and giving them platforms to go and talk about it, you know, but the reality is when you step back, when you step back and you look at the actual polls, you can see that Labor is five points up on its primary versus the last federal election. The Andrews Labor government in Victoria, despite constant attacks from Murdoch, despite being the focus of some of these CPAC folk as well over the course of the weekend. I love how much they hate Daniel Andrews. He's up. He, he would win 10 more seats if there was an election this weekend. Like these are, 
these people are doing the ideas of conservatism, which I don't subscribe to, but they're doing the ideas of conservatism such a disservice that, in fact, I think it helps us engage more people in the middle in, into a majority that says, you know what, we don't want to be racist. That kind of racial stereotyping, that kind of bigotry, that kind of hatred, that that is gone. That is not part of the Australian identity anymore. And when it was, a lot of us were uncomfortable with it. Yeah. And now we don't want it to make a comeback. I just remember my parents turning off the television. Like there was a particularly disgusting Australian television sitcom mm. that was just full of racism. And, you know, like I was like four or five, I was very, very young, mm. and, you know, just mindlessly watching television. And my mother made a point of turning off the TV and talking to me about how it was a bad show and the ideas were wrong and she didn't want me exposed to that and having a conversation with me about how racism was wrong and, you know, and it was. It was an uncomfortable and awful time. And, you know, this is one of the things that I find interesting because they bang on about cultural elites as well, right? Like they bang on about cultural elites and the the, the woke karate and wokeism and this sort of they try and, and other they're trying to other the mainstream. And it, it because back in the day of the 70s and the 80s, you had four blokes who ran four TV stations who owned four newspapers and four blokes who owned the radio station. Like you had a very white, male, straight view. Straight acting or pretending, yeah. Coming through the television, coming through the radio, you know, appearing in the newspapers. Yeah, Australia is actually not the most diverse country in the world, but it is a diverse country and it is a multicultural country. And now our media is starting to reflect that. Our debates are starting to reflect that. And that is a good thing. What these people are doing, as you say, when you look at the crowd, it is almost entirely white, almost entirely Boomers. Boomer mm. generation. And uh, not all boomers. Not all boomers. Not all some, boomers are like this. There are some excellent I'm, boomers. I'm more than well aware of the boomers who, like, did big feminism Absolutely. and did big what was at the time called gay liberation. I am very, very grateful to the 76ers. I am very, very grateful to all of the boomers who campaigned in the last referendum to enfranchise versus Australians with the right to vote was a great thing that boomers did. Thank you, boomers. But there are... There is a segment of of boomers, uh, predominantly in those crowds. They are they are the predominant demographic in those crowds. Uh, even if even if CPAC likes to pretend it's diverse by having Warren Mundine and Jacinta Price up on the stage, and you know, as you say, Milo Yiannopoulos, infamously uh, gay man. Uh, At the time, apparently he's recanted. Right. So yeah, good on you, Milo. All these things, but. Uh, the the diversity is what they're against. And it makes me go back to the point you make about identity death, you know, that maybe, maybe for a slither of the Australian populace, those shows that your mother turned off, uh, that I'm sure my family turned off, that maybe some people just eventually kind of grew out of went, actually, you know, I don't feel comfortable, like, having these jokes anymore. Uh, maybe for that slither of people, that identity death is actually what CPAC is trying to tap into. Mm. And I think we've talked before about, you know, in America, this is, this is almost a business as much as it's about politics. And when I think about people like Warren Mundine, Jacinta Price, Mark Latham, you know, these are people who seem to be motivated by politics as a business opportunity rather than 
politics as a nation-building opportunity. Or in the case of Latham, who let's remember is on the old parliamentary pension. Yeah. Like Mark Latham has no need to work. The reason why parliamentary pensions used to be so generous was so that MPs didn't stay in the job past their use-by date and cling on to it for dear life, and the generous pension also existed so MPs wouldn't be tempted to sell out the national interest in order to retain the lifestyle to which they'd become accustomed. Mm. So we used to pay them out. I believe in this. I support yeah. I support the most ludicrous pensions ever if it means we get corruption and self-interest out of public life, like pay them out. Yeah. Latham is on that pension and cannot stay away. He cannot stay away from attention. He cannot stay away from controversy. He's left One Nation, like, on his Mm. trajectory. He has another eight years to just sit in the upper house in New South Wales and, you know, drink whatever he's drinking. Good on you, Mark. Like, and just be unpleasant to everybody. He's obviously in the process of being sued by Alex Greenwich, who gets my full solidarity on this issue. Alex, if you're listening, I certainly hope you prevail. It was disgusting. Nobody deserves it. It was appalling. I am thrilled you took action against Mm, him. mm. What an absolute bigot and sad sack Mark Latham is. But it's this need to stay at the centre of things, to be in the loop, to be the centre of attention. And you can parlay that from these individuals like Gary John and Mark Latham, who obviously you and I have the greater antipathy for Mm. because- They're rats. Because they're rats. Because, you know, they were supported by people like you and me and our families and Mm. our unions and our union comrades and our communities Mm. to turn around and rat and just- Mm. You know, to turn on all- the very communities that they had sworn to serve. Yeah, and had been supported to mm. have the opportunity to serve. You know, like, but uh, there are a lot of them. You know, mm. all of those Republicans in the United States lining up to get behind Donald Trump to keep their careers alive, even though he is facing 91 charges, 91. Mm. I mean, and this is the thing as well. At CPAC, they, they were having a Trump festival in Australia. Uh, apparently press passes were issued with the words fake news on them. <laughs> and they all had their ridiculous jokes, like apparently the power went out on Alan Jones and he blamed renewable energy. And Well, can I just say on the fake news thing, like if anybody knows anything about fake, it's CPAC, right? Because this came through on social media that, CPAC's attempt to um, make its team look diverse on its website, the idea that somehow or another that that they weren't racist, even though they were saying racist things because they had people on the team who were um, from Asian descent or from uh, African-American descent or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, whatever it might be, that they had basically just used Shutterstock images. Yeah, they actually got them. They paid for them from Shutterstock. Uh, they paid for these portraits and put them on their website and called them the team on the About Us page. And somebody on the internet went, "Really? Who are those people?" And image searched them and found them on a you know a photo website. So like you, you could buy basically you can buy stock the images use of these photos. These stock images. Oh yeah, I mean, and then they're comedian. And I do want to talk about this. I had to phone a friend of mine um, from the Voice campaign about it and just say, "Look, I I feel uncomfortable even talking about, but we've got to talk about CPAC yeah. and we've got to talk about the." the group affirmation of naked racism, which is going on in that forum. Mm. The stand-up comedian they got who's in real life called Ronnie Marks but who uh, claimed on the podium that his name was Kime to boss, I'm the boss, get it? Right. But, and, you know, appeared with this sort of like sort of strange Israeli-like accent. Right. Right. 
um, and launched into a racist diatribe where he was like, I'd like to um, acknowledge the traditional rent seekers of yeah. Australia. Really? What, Aboriginal people were like living in consistent demonstrable poverty for literally no reason apart from, you know, workplace prejudice and lack of provided economic opportunity. That's rent-seeking, is it? Would you like to experience that, Rodney? Would you like to experience a bit of structural discrimination? It's just, it's disgusting. Like what on earth was that? Oh, there was more, there were comments about violent black men. And and I find this friend of mine saying, I don't even, I I don't really want to say the words. And she was like, no, it's important. Mm. It's important that we acknowledge what is actually going on, Mm. that this is just naked out there, not hiding anymore, not not throwing out the euphemisms, not a couple of sly allusions to lizard Mm. people. Mm. I mean, the CPAC franchise has has had people at its various conferences. In Hungary, they had a guy who got up and, like, threw out some lines that nobody's heard since 1945 and... This is the thing. They get together mm. with their, if you don't know, vote no signs, and they do a few racist jokes and then they listen to Gary Johns and then they buy his book and then, you know, Jacinda Price and Warren Mundina there lending it this credibility of, you know, free speech and yeah. unhindered debate and it all just gets extremely racist really quickly. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? You know, the, the people have said very clearly that there is a difference between uh, free speech and hate speech, and there, free speech does not mean speech without consequence. And, and you know, you and I have lived through it for we lived through it for a long time. And, and when I say lived through it, I mean I'm, I'm talking about here the marriage equality debate, obviously having gay mums. Uh, the things that were said were just outrageous. There were things that I hadn't heard uh, said since the 90s, since the early 90s, about people in this country, about people like my mums, and it was open and it was advertised and it was on posters and they were authorised and people put them on TV and they made videos. And that's what this, uh, this, you know, group, this kind of stagnant swamp of people is really doing. They're they're a self-affirmation society for bigots. And Catherine Deves is a great example. So Catherine Deves Mm. was Scott Morrison's captain's pick for the seat of Warringah who Mm. was going to win what used to be one of the safest Liberal seats in the history of the universe, Mm. lost by Tony Abbott because how could anyone vote for him? (laughs) Seriously, you got more sensible governance out of a bucket of noodles. And Catherine Deves was Scott Morrison's hand-picked candidate and her one issue is stopping trans women from playing sport as like as if that is of interest to anyone anywhere in any context and anything apart from hateful i mean it is just hateful mm. and there was a photo of her with more redeeming and a couple of other local turfs and go oh my god it's like women are loved here and they're all in dresses and they looked a bit like sex in the city for fascists was sort of the yeah, right. the vibe and it was just like there is nothing to you, love. You have no discernible talent or skill or ability or empathy or insight. You are grifting this really niche form mm. of essentially internet celebrity with a conference attached to it around the issue of publicly hating on one of the most marginalised groups within the community. Like that's, that's it. That's, that's all. Your whole act yeah. is public hatred, but it's enough for your weak 
pathetic, sad, crying in the corner of the room little ego for you to be with those people and affirm the hatred that defines you. Your need for attention is that desperate. And and it just every one of those issues that's that you could describe every one of those speakers on every one of those issues in that way is, is my view. That they, they are they are absolutely just like that on everything. Yes, your real burden, Gary Johns, is you're a terrible human being who deserves nothing apart from loneliness and moral condemnation. And I think if I can if I can put a positive spin back on this before we move on is, is to say that... <laughs> can you tell that I'm the one who did all the in-depth reading about CPAC because I just feel so sad and so angry? But but I do I do want to say this. You know, when, when it was announced that there would be a referendum... One of the first things that we said on this show was that people need to understand that the rhetoric around this is going to be a great moment to bring the whole nation together, need to understand that that's what happens at the end of the process. To get to that point, we've actually got to go through these people. We've got to do the work to get through this bocage, this barricade, this this ditch of... Um, uh, misanthropic. By the way, Ben just threw in an absolutely glorious anti-Nazi reference, and I love him with all of my heart. This, Through the bocage, I am so into you. This this just absolute uh, puddle of people who want to make everything about hate and everything nasty, and then accuse everyone else who who says, "Hang on a minute." What you're doing is racist. Accuse everyone else of hating on them when they're actually being racist and bigoted and hateful. And, you know, we've done it before. We did it with marriage equality. Every time there's been a big issue like this, we've had to push through. And it's hard and it's dispiriting. And you see someone like Warren Mundine and you go, really? Warren Mundine? Like, couldn't Warren Mundine have picked the right side on this? And he'll say he has. Of course he'll say he has. But, you know, we still have to do the work. And once we win, that's when the country comes together. People, I think, sometimes forget there was a very strong, well-resourced, hate-filled no campaign that actually said the people who were campaigning for yes during marriage equality were actually the ones spreading hate, that we were somehow hateful towards Christians or hateful towards heterosexual couples. There was this very bizarre same. I mean, what tactic. defines you and I as a relationship is our hatred towards heterosexual life. <laughs> it's really, just, it just defines us, really. Ben and I get up in the morning going, oh, heterosexuality. Oh. But the thing I want to stress here, man, is that because Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders only make up 3% of the population, they are a much smaller part of the population than LGBTIQA plus people and their families, this emboldened puddle of people who are spreading hatred have a much greater opportunity, which is it makes it incumbent on everyone else, you, me, everyone who listens to this show, all of our union comrades, to actually campaign and to support our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander comrades. And I want to be really clear on this point. So obviously Ben and I maintain an active presence on social media. Obviously we are, yes, campaigners and because it's the moral side yeah. as opposed to the evil side. And when the campaign sort of started, I was getting a lot of just hateful, racist awfulness 
uh, on everything I posted about it. So I turned off replies. I'm sorry if I don't follow you on Twitter and you've been trying to contact me and you can't because mm. I've turned off replies. But I was like, you know, I'm this is really silencing. Like this hatred, it's disgusting. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to believe there are people like this out in my community. I did, of course, do a bit of my old, you know, QAnon research and discovered a lot of the stuff I was getting. It was not coming from Australian accounts, no. but American and uh, very Russian-flavoured ones as well, obviously, because that's what they do. And so, like, I, I turned off replies, but I've seen so much, like, just horrible racist garbage and I understand that people like oh look I support the yes campaign but I I don't want to see that and you know but Ben and I campaigned uh, the other day we got together with our friends we went to a train station in our yes t-shirts and we handed out some leaflets and some stickers there were five of us we would have seen maybe a hundred people go through in that morning commute and we're out in regional Victoria I mean this is a place where there are still National Party stickers on the door of the pub and let's just say half of the National Party caucus was apparently at CPAC which should terrify everyone and you know, and it wasn't without trepidation that mm. I went because I'd seen such horrible garbage on the internet. And how many racists did we encounter, Ben? Just the one. Just the one, who apparently is the local turf, which I found <laughs> hilarious. It's like, what are it's you doing Shouldn't you be at CPAC? And we had one cooker who had Ben had a very strange conversation with. Yeah. The majority of people were yes, but the group that was larger than the no People, the two, the basically we only really had two no's, mm. were a, I don't know anything about it, what mm. referendum people. Yeah. And do you want to know something? Those people took leaflets. Yeah. And there is a role for you in a better and fairer Australia, in a good and moral Australia, in a go back to America CPAC Australia, and that is volunteering for your local campaign group and getting together with your friends, taking an hour out. We were there for 90 minutes in the morning before we all went to work and nobody likes getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning and just like unless they're just one of those people, one of those people, like efficient, highly productive individuals. Shut up. Um, But we did it. And we all felt better about our community and about our country afterwards because of the, you know, very low number of... This is why you should be a member of a union, right? Because unions right around the country are campaigning on this. Uh, They're equipping people with how to have these conversations, how to to give people this material. You can also go to yes23.org.au. That's the Yes campaign website, and they'll give you uh, support to do that. Because it is, it's actually, uh, it's it's strengthening and empowering to campaign with your friends and with your neighbours and to start to have those conversations. You know, I had conversations with people who I've seen on the train occasionally who I've always thought, oh, maybe that, that person might be a bit Tory. And, and then I've had a conversation with that particular woman and she was a yes person and she went and got a sticker and was, can I take a couple more flyers to give to my friends? And you go, that is how we build communities, by having conversations, by engaging with each other and by, by being open. It's not without it's not without hesitation. It's not without some probably some level of anxiety, as you say, but... I'm notoriously awkward in these situations. I take full responsibility for it. I was raised to be combative. I came through student politics. But we can can have those conversations. Ben has taught me how to be a better person, and I'd also like to acknowledge our friends Zoe, Ash and Lauren, who were amazing at the train station the other day and just so just engaged and out with people and just I think we all left just going, yeah, this is 
what we're into, conversations, talking to people, you know, prosecuting a moral argument and speaking back to the horrible, you know, astroturf nonsense that we're seeing on the internet. Yeah, that's right. So, look, there's lots of campaigning yet to be done. The date still hasn't been announced as of the recording of this podcast. The speculation is it'll be the 13th of October for the referendum. CPAC is done for another year. Who knows what's next for the franchise that Reagan himself would no longer recognise. Oh, yeah, there's no way Ronald Reagan would. I never thought I'd live to say that. Ronald Reagan, left-wing hero. He's not going to CPAC. Like, good Lord. Um, But, you know, there are, of course, things happening in day-to-day life that are impacting people and which... I can understand some people are saying uh, perhaps the reason why some of those conversations we had at the train station, people said they haven't heard about it, they haven't engaged with it yet or they haven't given it much thought when it comes to the referendum because there is a cost of living crisis in this country. There is a problem with greedflation in this country. We've been talking about it for all of this year. Uh, We've talked in a a recent episode, I think it was episode 145, we talked about the ACTU launching uh, their price gouging inquiry. Uh, Social media uh, content has renamed it the reporter ripoff tip line. Fantastic initiative, so fantastic an initiative that the government itself has ripped off their reporter ripoff line uh, and established an ongoing inquiry into competition and pricing. Uh, this is a task force that they have set up uh, with Danielle Wood, Chief Executive of the Grant Institute, and Rod Sims, the former chair of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. It will engage in, quote, targeted public consultation and provide continuous advice over the coming two years. Now, this has come about obviously through the union movement's good work, but also right on the back of the two major supermarkets, Coles and Woolworths, announcing massive, massive profits. Uh, Coles and Woolworths announced $1.1 billion and $1.6 billion profits each. Their margins have gone up by as much as 20%. So every time you go to the supermarket van, I don't know if you've noticed, but I, I, I bought three things at the supermarket today and, and they weren't fancy things. They were pretty much staples uh, and it cost $27, right? This is this is when I came home today. I had three things in my hand. I love the fact you think I don't notice. I, I do notice. Yeah, of course. And everybody does, right? Because... I notice. That kind of... <laughs> That kind of pricing, that cost. What do you think is going on? Oh, you're in the arts. Arts people don't pay attention to money. Uh, But people notice, right? Of course they do. Uh, What the supermarkets have been relying on is that they have a monopoly between or duopoly. There's duopolies and oligopolies. The Australian. The Australian market, whether it be for supermarkets or for banks or whatever it might be, is highly concentrated. So, give you an example. Sainsbury's, which is a UK supermarket, which operates in a much more competitive environment. You've lived in the UK. You know there's dozens of different supermarkets you can Sainsbury's, Little, Iceland, Tesco, uh, Asda, heaps of them. There's heaps of different supermarkets. Marks and Spencer. And they're full-size, full-supply-chain supermarkets. Sainsbury's has a margin that is half that of... 
the, of Coles and Woolworths here in Australia? You know, I discovered that when I was living in the UK because I had literally no money when I was there and I knew that groceries were cheaper despite the um, – exchange rate difference yeah. and I was there when it was $3 to the pound which was an awful time to yeah. relocate to that particular country but food was cheaper yeah and look obviously issues in the UK have I mean, changed the economic environment there. yeah totally but and you have to sit in a room with strangers to be warm which is not a sign of a functioning society but of course the point that this makes is that the concentration of power of wealth of greed into the hands of some of our major corporations does have to be examined. It has, and the union movement has taken a lead on this. The government is obviously now acting on it. And change will have to come in the form of policy. It will have to come in the form of targeted economic interventions that put downward pressure on prices. Because even when some foreign chains have tried to set up shop here, uh, and, of course, there was one... Uh, one of the uh, UK ones that you just mentioned did try and set up shop here and they spent a couple of hundred million dollars trying to find somewhere to set up and get a supply chain going, all the rest of it. They really, really struggle because the major supermarkets try and lock them out. In fact, some of the commentary around this task force today has said that the two major supermarket players are enmeshed in the planning system. They identify sites. They land bank. They shut out competition. So competition amongst capitalists is a good thing. That's how we get them being innovative. That's how we get them driving down price. One of the things we have to be really mindful of as people who are concerned about workers is that monopolists, duopolists, whatever they might be, will not only hurt workers' hip pocket, they will eventually turn on the workers and their wages as well. And, of course, we've seen in this country wage theft story after wage theft story from these highly concentrated industries, whether they be supermarket chains or banks and financial institutions, where the lack of competitive pressure, a lack of uh, drive from people and corporations in their own sector has meant that they're able to get away with so much. And in fact, the, the idea also undermines people's capacity to unionise because if you unionise, you can more easily be, of course, blacklisted. It's all the more reason to unionise, as you and I both know, Van. If the boss doesn't want you to be in a union, that's all the more reason to be in one. And if the boss says, oh, you should join the union, then join the union and get active. And let's see if he suggests it to the next person. Congratulations to the ACTU on getting so far already with their uh, campaign to report ripoffs. Look, at the end of the day, Woolworths shareholders uh, are in clover because what they've taken out of the pockets of everyday working people in the form of higher prices, they have distributed to their shareholders, many of which are uh, overseas-based private equity firms, uh, with an increased dividend of 9.4% and a jump in the share price today of 4%. Just today, a jump of 4%. This is greedflation. Capitalism does not regulate itself. It needs help from you. And that's why democracy is so important. Man, 
I think we've got some good news. We do. It's about, you know, one of the things that causes me nightmares, which is microplastics. Tiny little bits of plastic that can penetrate the blood-brain barrier, which have been found in the deepest ocean trenches and also as high as the jet stream. Uh, They are very bad. We are a species polluting and poisoning itself. Uh, A research team from the University of British Columbia in Canada, however, has worked out how to filter 99.9% of microplastics from water. They've built a device called a biocap, and it's quite scalable. Do you know why? Do you know what filters micro microplastics out of water more effectively than anything else? I do, but why don't you tell us? I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell everyone. Uh, sawdust and tea. Sawdust and tea. Basically, so they use uh, cellulose. Mm-hmm. And uh, they use tannin and tannic acids, which are polyphenols, which are present in tea. And essentially they can create the world's most effective plastic filter uh, by using like barks and leaves and, you know, just organic waste. It's incredible. It is. It's it's totally amazing. And they were like, yeah, even we, because they were doing these filters with cellulose. Yeah. Um, with um, sawdust, and they could they could only remove ten percent of the microplastic. Yeah. And somebody was like, "Hey, you know, trees without extensive root systems rely on tannic acids and polyphenols to ward off like nastiness as a filter. Maybe we should mix them together and see what happens." And they're like, "Yeah, we can put this everywhere. We can put it in every household tap. Uh, we can ensure that microplastics don't get into sewers. I mean, this is we can do this." It's fantastic news. Of course, we also want to end the use of microplastics as much as possible. Yeah, but uh, we've got to get them out of the environment they're already in. Absolutely. And the idea a bunch of Canadians were like, you know, we can do this for sawdust is very exciting. It's very exciting. I love you, Canada! Van, of course, what's also exciting is that uh, having reached a million downloads uh, in the last seven days, uh, I did have Sunday off for the weekend wrap and we did get to spend some lovely time together with the dog. Uh so thank you to all the listeners who were supportive of that. But the listeners who support our show, it's always free to listen to, always free to download. But there are people who make a choice to help us grow that audience. They go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. They give once and that's it. And we appreciate that. They might sign on to give a buck a week. We appreciate that as well. Our Extend the Reach supporters give us $10 a month and our cadre supporters give us $20 a month. All of that money, every single penny and more, I should add, goes into paying for advertising, getting this show into Into a million pairs of ears. And even more in the future. So we'd like to give a shout-out and we get Van to do the shout-out because Van has the uh, dramatic training and he's very good at it. To our Extend the Reach Can you tell that Van is a bit jealous of me going to a playwrights festival (laughs) this weekend because my arts degree has come up numerous times in this conversation? I'm going door knocking. You are more than welcome to come with me to the playwrights festival. I'm going door knocking. (laughs) I'm going door knocking. Um, I'm going to go and have conversations with neighbours about why they should vote yes. That's what I'll be doing. Which is awesome. I it, agree. It is awesome. I'm, I'm going to an industrial event with my community and you should respect that. <laughs> and of course, we respect everyone who listens to this show as even more than we respect ourselves. Ben loves being married to an artist. It makes him feel very stable and not chaotic at all. So, Van, do you want to give a shout-out to our cadre? Mega Ichisaurus, Matrice, Shamila Lacal, and then 
Ms. Dianne Weir, Joe Lockery, Steph, Karina Barley, at Jancy Campbell, Leonie Gibbons, and Coleman, at Ross Kenner 888, Bromman Cockington, Terry Butler, Jack Powell. That's an awesome name, Jack Powell. Gail Ferguson, Rebecca Fanning for Longman, Matthew Hadley, Colm Kelly, Ali Vance, Miriam, Love Your Work, Yeet Yeti, at Nancy Bailden, Bailden, Claire, Jason Dallas, Camille, Akiva Boris, Gabe Kramer, Stephen Aiken, Trish Corey, Greg Miller, Kathy Birch, Fiona McNeil, Jed Carney, Kristen Cole, Bromman, Punch Drunk Veteran, Jenny Foster 7, Andrew Pascoe, Cassandra Tui, Ian Hampson, No Twitter for Me, Hannah Honda, Matt Bush, No Relation, Richard Sands, I'm not on Twitter, Glenn Robbie, Brush Daniels, Kylie Phillips, Linda Cartwright, Leanne Chingles, I don't have Twitter, my name is Susan Myers, Kerry Nash 20, Billy 3 McCabe, Narissa Simon, at Katagal, Lauren Ash and Banjo, Narangaman, John Sharpin, Peter Barth, Louise Watson slash Red, White and Blue Lou. And I extend the reach supporters are Mary Bardwell, Stuart Mum, Borgoya, Matthew Case, Marky Mark, at Beckin Bit, Adrian Valente, Mizritza at Carriedale 68, Frank Nahouse, Erica Pizzuti, Joe Lapino, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Kerry, Arthur Pauline, Bate, Shane Horsfall, Helen, Murray Buzzard 62, Janet McCalman, Jeremy Moe, Rosie Elliott, Lara, Robert Notfield, One, Michael Wales, Sanj Kelly, Darina, Donald Fawn, Damien Marley, Michelle Norton, Rodney Slap, Cameron Tridragon, Daniel at Crazy Kara, Keza, sorry, I apologise, Keza, at Crazy Keza, John DeHaan, Ange Fennell, Anna Uren, Melanie Denning, Jodie A, not on Twitter, Penelope Judge, Jane Holloway, Spirit of Anger and Hope, S Wood, at Didham, Sharon Kelly, Beck and Lola, Richard Graver, Someone, Vita W, Nandita Hannum, Maura Louise Hawker, Megan Weckett, Graham Oxley, Tracy Lucas, Sandy Honan, at Galvest, Greg Martin, Trainer, Amy Fawcett, not on Twitter, Sarah, Elian and Andrew, Ivis Billet, Andrew Bryan, Peter O.C., Linda, Sam Hadid, Kia Patterson, Lizard, Twizzle, Bunker Basher, Katie Ward, at The Real Neville Longbody, Sandy Baumgart, at Not Sandy B, Renee McGee, and Kim Delahaye. Thank you to all of you, and congratulations on continuing to make this one of the most successful independent podcasts. Million downloads! In the country. Uh, I hope that you will join me on Sunday where I'll be taking a look at the intergenerational report and hopefully by then we will have a date for the referendum that we can talk about as well. But until then, love you, Vanny. I love you too. Bye. Bye.